Hey everybody, John Huber here from the Maryland Education Network, brought to you by Maryland K-12. This will be, uh, or this is, should I say, Season 1, Episode 2 of uh, my little podcast going on here. Thank you for joining me. Greatly appreciate it. Please share, like, comment, do whatever you got to do, because my goal here is to create interest and create... Um, Feedback regarding um, Maryland's K-12 schools. If you have anything to say, wanna, um, I would just love to hear from you. I'm not one of those guys just going to sit here and ramble on and tell everyone how they should think and then um, dare you to uh, uh, disagree with me. And I'm not going to try and convince you. I'm just going to try and provide some um, valuable insight, uh, expert analysis, opinion, that sort of thing, and I just would love to hear from you, so please um, get in touch with me any way you can. If There's a million ways to get in touch with me. Um, if you want to make a comment or you want to you wanna come on the show, I'd love to have you as we uh, hopefully build the show up, get a little bit of an audience uh, to follow. But anyway, in my first episode, I talked about school safety. School safety, I'm primarily talking about external type of threats, shootings, mass violence, those sorts of things. And if you haven't caught that, you might want to go and take a look at that. The bottom line with all that is, is that everything, in my opinion, everything that the schools can possibly do, um, they are doing. And it is just a matter of being diligent, not being complacent, and staying on top of it. And that, my friends, is very, very difficult. And I gave you a few examples of um, how you might want to go out and test it on your own. So if you haven't uh, if you haven't heard from haven't checked out that episode, please do so. But in this one, I'm talking about school discipline, and this is kind of the first little soiree into school discipline, because school discipline, whether you realize it or not, is a very very complicated issue. A lot of people think it's very simple. Well, just kick them out, just suspend them. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And if you are the parent of a child, or if you have a, uh, a first-hand or unique um, interest in K-12 education, uh, I'm not talking about private education, that's a different story, but public K-12 education, um, if, if, you have a, if you're a stakeholder in there and, and you have some skin in the game, as they say, then you, you might want to listen to my next couple of, uh, of episodes on this topic because it is very, very complicated. Um, and I don't say that about a lot of things. Most things are pretty simple. And I guess in a nutshell, you could probably make an argument that this is simple. But let's just say there are a lot of prongs to this um, to this little issue we talk about when we talk about school discipline. First of all, when I talk about school discipline, I'm talking about managing the behavior of students in the schools, which has been a huge, huge topic. It continues to be, and this encompasses everything from uh, general foolishness to fighting to bullying, which I'm going to do a whole thing on bullying. Um, you know, just the whole... Uh, climate, if you will, in, in the school system. Entire offices now are um, have sprung up on all the on all the big um, school systems. They all have these, you know, offices of school climate, that kind of thing. But like I said, before you can begin to understand how school discipline works, and before you can really make a legitimate or have a a a 
have, have an informed opinion on it, you have to understand the foundations of how it, it the, the foundation of how it works. We go all the way back to the very beginning. And I'm not going to give you a history lesson in education, but what I say at the beginning is we're going to talk about the Constitution of the United States because it is from here on that we build our um, system of school discipline. The first question is, what does the Constitution say about education? And the reason this is important is because when we talk about punishing students in school, we're talking about the government that is taking action on a student. It's not much different than when the police, you know, there are lots of laws. We talk about all of our rights. You have a right to this and a right to that and right to free this. and right. It's not much different when a police officer in a school, it's not much difference for a school system to take action against a student than it is a police officer to take action because you're talking about an entity of the government who is taking action against a student. So let's talk about this. The first thing we need to understand is that there, in the United States Constitution, there is no mention of anything having to do with education. Um, I'm no constitutional scholar, so don't you know, use me as your um, source of, of information about the Constitution, but I'm pretty familiar with the fact that Education is just simply not mentioned in the Constitution. And many constitutional scholars have said specifically that was on purpose because they honestly believe that education was a locally managed and should be and should remain a local, a locally controlled issue. And that is essentially how it is developed. So there are there is no constitutional right to an education. So where does that leave us? Does that mean you have no right to an education? No, of course not. What it means is there's no federally protected constitutional right. It, it's a similar argument that they're having right now about, about Roe v. Wade and abortion. You know, I certainly don't want to get into that. Um, but it's the same overall principle. The Tenth Amendment of the United States, the last one of the Bill of Rights, you remember from your um, schooling, you remember your K-12 schooling, the first ten amendments are called the Bill of Rights. The Tenth one says that any powers that were not specifically outlined in the Constitution are left for the states. And since they did not leave any powers to the, or not give any powers to the federal government regarding education, it is clearly left to the states to deal with that. And they have over the years. Every state has a specific department of its government that oversees and regulates education. And every single one of them does. So every state has a department of education. And they're all slightly different. They have you know different um, ways of, of establishing their, their powers and authorities. But that is the, the bottom line. Now... There's also this thing called the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment says that everyone, all citizens, cannot be deprived of life, liberty, and property. And it's not life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's the preamble to the, uh, or, or that's the, uh, I think, the Declaration of Independence. But they're saying the 
life, liberty, and property cannot be deprived them um, without due process of law. And then it also says, nor or, or they are all everyone is afforded equal protection under the laws. So you hear that you hear about that a lot. You hear about the equal protection clause. That's the Fourteenth Amendment. So when you combine the Fourteenth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment, there is in general a right to an education. Now some would still argue, saying, "No, you don't have any right to this." Well, I think it's pretty fair to say that for the most part in our country, everyone is generally has a right to an education, or probably it would be fair to say that you cannot remove someone's education without making sure you have due process and without um, equal protection. You have to provide the states, when I say you, I mean the states, the state has to equally protect everyone under the law. And since Maryland law provides for in education and Maryland has compulsory attendance laws, as does every other state, therefore you cannot remove that without due process. What does that mean? What that means is that when a school system or an administrator suspends a student from school, he or she is removing that student's education for a short or long, however long of a period of time, and you cannot do that without due process. Now, what does due process of law mean? Um, I mean, you can go back to the first couple of amendments where you talk about uh, your right to fair and speedy trial, right to face your accuser. You remember all those things. But I always look at it like, um, I always called it fundamental fairness. You have to be fundamentally fair. You have to give the person a right to, um, you have to provide the person uh, the, if, if I'm an administrator in school, um, when a kid, when I went to suspend a kid, I had to do a couple of things. Number one, you have to inform the child and his parent or parents what the charges were. You had to tell them specifically what part of the student handbook that they are being accused of violating. And you have to give them an opportunity to write a statement and give them an opportunity to present their side of the story, to present witnesses. Um, and you know, and then you have to take that into account. And then you can still suspend the kid. And then when you suspended him from school, that became a legal procedure. A lot of paperwork gets fought out. It goes on the kid's permanent record. And then, you know, I mean, you know how it is. You're out for a couple of days. Then you have another, um, you have a conference and they return to school. But my point here is that a suspension is a legal thing. And it cannot be exercised. It cannot be administered without due process of law and everyone is entitled to that equal protection under the law so obviously you can't discriminate and, and whatnot so over over the years um, in the in the state of Maryland since the let's talk specifically about Maryland since Maryland has um, a state Department of Education like the rest of them do they're required to do that how Maryland does it Maryland has a the primary authority in the state of Maryland over all things education is the Maryland State Board of Education. And it, it's kind of funny, if you remember during the pandemic shutdowns, you know, and, um, you know, Larry Hogan was up there and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're asking him, the reporters are asking him, well, what about schools? Are schools going to be closed? And, and he would just turn around to Dr. Karen Salmon and say, uh, you're going to have to talk to her because the governor has absolutely no authority over the schools whatsoever. And he even said at one point, he goes, well, she doesn't serve at my pleasure. She serves at the pleasure of the board. 
the Maryland Board of Education is the ultimate authority on all things education in Maryland. But, <laughs> see, it gets a little more complicated. Ultimately, when it comes to school discipline, there are laws in our place that say, or in our state that say, that it is the responsibility of the local school boards, right? The local boards um, of education, the, the Baltimore County Board of Education, the Howard County Board, the Anne Arundel County Board of Education, it is their responsibility to develop, implement, and oversee their own individual school discipline codes of conduct. So they have to write the codes of conduct. The Maryland State Department of Education through the Board of Education, they provide guidelines over how those codes of conduct are to be written and the types of um, things that they should include in them. And they have done that over the years. So, before you start looking into, you know, whether a kid is, is um, you know, whether a school is, is overreaching its authority and all this stuff, you have to know what the code of conduct says the code of conduct is written by the local boards by Anne Arundel County, Howard County, Garrett County, Worcester County, whatever the individual counties are the ones who actually write the um, the codes of conducts or the, this, the student handbook as it's known and they they enforce them but they have to be written and approved by the um, State Department of Education. All right, now you've got that all straight. Recently, as in 2012, I think it was, 2012 or 13, right in that case, they had a major change in the overall philosophies of these codes of conduct. They used to include a, a lot of harsh language, and the state came back and they provided... Um, a whole list of guidelines and recommendations that they expected to see in the local board's code of code of codes of conduct. Excuse me. And what those recommendations did, or, or what those recommendations um, changed, was they kind of changed the overall philosophy of these um, uh, of these discipline policies. It went from a more punitive approach to a more therapeutic and restorative approach. Now, you can like that or you can not like that, but that's what happened. And there's a whole slew of, of, um, of documents that came out around that time about um, there should be no, they, they don't want anything having to do with um, uh, zero tolerance policies. They didn't want anything like that. They wanted to, um, it, because they felt that they wanted to give administrators the um the, the and their judgment um, and, and you know their, their you know their, 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 to use their good common sense as opposed to having some zero tolerance policy and that is kind of where we still are right now by those policies that were changed in 2012 or 13 or whatnot and I'm going to put those up on my website you can see them what the recommendations are and it's more of a therapeutic um, you know um, restorative counseling sort of thing and their rationale behind that according to what they wrote their rationale was that suspensions of students did not necessarily 
increase school safety. It did not make schools safer. Safer, excuse me. It did not make them less disruptive. And in some cases, they even kind of suggested that schools with higher suspension rates had uh, school climates that were even more um, disruptive and and violent. They've used that word a couple times than others. So, based on that. It, they really wanted to reduce suspensions. And I remembered as I was an administrator at the time, I would we, we had a bunch of meetings. They would pull us in. They would talk about, you know, you got to stop suspending so many kids. And, you know, Baltimore County used to lead the world in, in suspension, and they were kind of proud of it um, at the time. Um, and now they came back and said, all of a sudden, they said, no, we, we can't do this anymore. We have to change to a more therapeutic, a more restorative approach. And all the... All the details were on there. I'll give you. I will give you one example of of how that changed, and it is a matter of one simple word. At the time, we used to have three categories of offenses, which they still do. Category one, two, and three. Category one used to say offenses for which a student would normally be suspended, or I forget the exact word, something where he may be suspended, something like that. Those were relatively lower level offenses, you know. Um, use of profanity, you know, refusing to follow school rules, you know, that kind of stuff. Fighting was a Category 1 offense. Um, you know, a couple of kids get in a fight, break it up, and you send them home for a day or two, and you bring them back. Category 1 offense. Category 2 offenses where um, students um, could, would normally be suspended, but may be expelled. Um, and, and those were ones that had a wide variety. Like, you know, the biggest one on Category 2, if I remember, was like threats on an individual. Like, you know, there's a wide gamut. I mean, there's a threat where, you know, yeah, I'm going to kick your butt tomorrow when I see you. And then there's, like, really legitimate threats. So Category 2 offense could be either suspension or possibly expel expulsion. But then Category 3 offenses used to say, and I remember it clearly, it said examples of offenses um, for which a student shall be suspended or, or for which a student shall be expelled or sent to an alternative program. So these were categories of offenses that if you committed them, you were automatically removed. It said you shall be, you know, uh, suspended to the, or, or you, it says you shall be um, expelled or um, removed to an alternative program. The big one on that one, Category 3, was striking a staff manager while intervening in a fight or other disruptive activity. That was a no-brainer. It used to be when a teacher goes to break up a fight, kids are swinging wildly, and a teacher got hit. It was automatic. It was zero time. That's what they mean by zero time. It was automatic. You know, didn't matter whether it was. It even said in the intentional or unintentional. I can't tell you how many times I've been at a was at a board hearing, and the, and the kid would say, "Yeah, well, I hit Mr. Jones, but I, you know, I, I didn't mean to do it." And say, like, well, too bad, you still do it. It's, it's um, automatic removal. But what they did under these new guidelines from the states in 2012 is they removed that word shall and they replaced it with may. The student who commits Category 3 offense may be suspended or may be removed from school and sent to an alternative program. That, my friends was a huge thing. Whatever side of the fence you're on, um, teachers unions, they didn't like it. They didn't like it whatsoever because they knew that what this, because that category, that um, 3M 
or no, it was um, 3P, which was um, striking a staff member while intervening in a fight. That was the biggest reason kids were removed from school was for that one charge. And they changed that one word, and then all of a sudden the expulsions started going way down because, you know, um, it didn't say you couldn't be expelled for, for that, but it just said you didn't automatically have to be. Um, another thing they've done recently, and this is, I was just looking the other day at, at uh, Baltimore counties. In the first um, category of offenses, it doesn't even mention suspension. <laughs> it just says, here's a list of offenses, and I, I'm going to go back and look at that again. I must be missing something. So uh, it's like it used to say, these are examples of category one for uh, you know things you for which you may be suspended it doesn't even say that and at all now it just says here's a list of offenses <laughs> so i'm a little confused about that i'm gonna go back and take a look at it anyway just to, to, to make sure we, we get back to the point local school systems are in charge of writing these policies and these student codes of conduct so if you have any questions about whether or not you know what's right or what's wrong or what what they can do and what they can't do all right they have these policies in place they have been put there they are in compliance with uh, the state board's recommendations and anything and everything having to do with school discipline for each individual school district comes from that particular handbook that handbook is based on Maryland law. Maryland law is in alignment with the 14th Amendment and the 10th Amendment, and it's in alignment with the Constitution. And anybody who is suspended or expelled or otherwise uh, removed from school or, or had, has any kind of uh, discipline that is, I'm saying removal now, okay, cannot be done without due process of law and has to be done with equal protection under the law. So, take a look at your local school policy, whichever one you, you are, dig through it deep, look at it carefully, really dig around, and see, uh, see, what, each, um, see what your jurisdiction has to say about a variety of things. And I can tell you, they have all kind of softened up a little bit, and to these, um, as I mentioned, the therapeutic, more, you know, counseling and um, uh, you know, um, restorative uh, type of approaches, whether you like it or don't like it, that's why it is that way. That's a little bit of the history of it. And, and that's what we, we have right now. So, um, that is my first little soiree into school discipline. And I'm going to take you into a, a, a few more in some of the later episodes. I'm going to talk more about specific examples of things that may happen and what you can expect if you go into a superintendent's designee's hearing or what what schools can and can't kick students out for what people i got, I got a lot more to say about this but i just want to provide a fundamental background about how these policies are constructed and who's in, who does it who's in charge and whatnot and give you a little background a little fun little uh, foundation if you will so hope that helps please give me a call give me a shout let me know if you have anything you'd like to say i would love to hear from you and i hope you guys have a great day take care <music>